welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Jacob Diggle, Director of Strategy, Research and Impact at UK Youth. We speak about the recent UK Youth Report, about the economic value of investing in youth work, how children and young people are being affected by current societal challenges and opportunities for charities to improve their work by working more collaboratively with young people. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and to book a free demo. So without further ado, here is Jacob Diggle talking to me about the return on investment of supporting children and young people. I'm delighted to be joined by Jacob Diggle, Director of Strategy, Research and Impact at UK Youth. Jacob, welcome to Charity Chats. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So maybe if we start by asking a little bit about you, what's your background? What's led you to your role at UK Youth? Yeah, so I've been at UK Youth for about 18 months, but uh, the work on issues around young people, support for young people to kind of find their own ways in life, have been a bit of a golden thread through my career, I guess. Um, I started off my career in the in the civil service, uh, and this was at the time of the um, the, the last financial crisis, thinking about uh, youth unemployment work, actually. Um, that was in New Zealand, but a lot of the same challenges were, were similar to those being faced here in the UK. Um, and then I had a series of roles working in uh, service delivery, including things like housing associations, thinking about how young people can be involved in uh, shaping services. Uh, and then that also led me to work at Mind, the mental health charity where I was for, uh, for eight or nine years uh, doing work around uh, research uh, into all sorts of different areas about mental health, uh, but including uh, supporting Mind's transition to focus more on on young people and youth mental health, which is obviously a, a crisis that all of your listeners will be, will be well aware of. So uh, the kind of journey to UK youth has um, been the sort of culmination, I guess, of, um, of of that so far. Thinking about uh, how to how to use all the levers that we've got within civil society, within the charity sector, within government, within business to uh, to support young people to navigate these really challenging times that we're that we're living in. Um, and I guess it was such an exciting opportunity to join UK Youth, which is a charity that. Uh, seeks to empower young people, but specifically through youth work uh, and working with a network of over uh, 8,000 youth organisations across the UK um, to uh, unlock youth work for all young people. And I think uh, the exciting thing about that being placing young people right at the heart of it and thinking not about how do we get young people to... Know, jump through a better educational box or to you know just think about their mental health in isolation but actually start where the young people are and ask them is this where you want to be and how do we help you get to where you want to be which is the kind of magic of youth work that that trusted relationship with a young person uh, that can help them uh 
unlock their own uh, potential and do the things that matter most to them. Did you have a, um, a motivation to get into this line of work? I've always been aware of the transformational impact that good social support can have Mm. Uh, kind of motivation for that from a very personal reason i was a very um moved around a lot as a child um probably went to 15 or 16 different schools across multiple countries um and i was often very lonely and i was quite severely bullied at times uh and it was uh, it was two youth workers actually who convinced me that I had any uh, value to offer. Uh, convinced me that I had some, uh, I had self worth, uh, and it was through support like that, uh, an adult who could see me for who I was, rather than through an educational lens or another kind of service lens um, that unlocked my potential, I guess. Uh, But I'm equally aware that with my own experience and those of my friends and family, the the difficult and often quite damaging effects of the lack of personalization of services, the Mm. lack of join up between services, um, the long waiting list for support. Um, if you are bounced around between organisations that are only operating within their box and only looking at issues from their one limited perspective, hmm. people fall through the cracks all the time. And I think that's always given me a bit of a motivation to work work on the cracks, um, work on the 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 join up between real human beings and the services that are designed to to work with them uh, and try and uh yeah i guess careers always make more sense in in retrospect than they do at the time sure um, but a uh, common theme definitely being about yeah join up between services collaboration between different kind of organizations with different um philosophies and ways of working mm. uh and uh kind of putting the putting the person at the at the heart of all of the um, service and support we provide. Recently, UK Youth published a report with economics consultancy Frontier Economic. How was the report created and what did it reveal? Yeah, so we've um, been thinking a lot at UK Youth about the contribution that youth work makes to um, to the economy uh, and to various areas of um, of policy interest. Uh, building on that conversation we we're just having about placing the the young person, placing the user right at the heart of what we do. Mm-hmm. Youth work starts with the young person and can therefore have a lot of benefits in lots of different areas of that young person's life, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's on their mental health or their skills and employability, uh, whether that's on um, reducing uh, victimization or or violent crime, a whole range of different areas that um, youth work can have a positive impact on. But in some ways, because of that, 
the story to tell about youth work and its contribution can be quite a complicated one. It can be quite quite messy um, because that's not one neat intervention. It's not mm. one single activity. Um, it's at the heart about the relationship between a trusted adult, the youth worker, and the young person and helping them navigate the uncertain times. That is the right thing to do, I believe, we at UK Youth believe, but it makes it quite hard to tell a kind of coherent story about what is youth work and how does it matter and how does it contribute to the broader picture. And so through this research that we did with Frontier Economics, we wanted to see of all of the different research that has been done in the past, and we've got to remember youth work's been around for 150 years um, and, you know, starting off in the Industrial Revolution and new uh, cities sprouting up and young people coming in from the from the countryside and not having uh, the the kind of established family and friendship support networks in place, right? Another time of huge upheaval uh, mm. uh, for young people, youth work sprouted up. And, you know, through the great times of uh, of change and turbulence, youth work has always been there, whether that's, you know, post-Second World War, whether that's been uh, other times of, of real dislocation and change. Youth work's always been there for young people. So it's been around for a very long time. And lots of people have thought hard about these questions before. We at UK Youth wanted to do some research that pulled together all of that, that existing um, uh, evidence about the various different aspects of um, youth work's impact on a young person's life. And to, to start quantifying what the, what the value to the government and the taxpayer was from that work. We can recognise that youth work has an impact on uh, citizenship and political participation. It can have an impact on uh, young people's mental health and well-being or their skills, a whole range of different areas. But what is the um, what's the uh, return on investment, I guess, uh, for for government spending? Uh, and that has been a really important exercise for a number of reasons. One, because it brings together all of that existing research into, into one place. Uh, and we recognise that particularly for you know, busy busy practitioners, uh, busy organisations trying to keep the lights on and, and respond to urgent needs, the time to pour over hundreds of different research papers isn't, sure. isn't there. It's not a luxury yeah. many of us have, right? Yeah. And so actually making that research accessible to people in one place mm. um, has, has, been a, has been a big aim of ours. The second of those is to really be transparent about what we don't know. Um, we don't want to you know, create some puff piece that says, isn't youth work lovely in it? Don't we know all the answers to all the questions? Because we frankly don't. And we do a disservice to the young people we're trying to support if we pretend that we know all the answers. Mm. But given that research has been so fragmented and bitty in the past, it's been quite hard to know what we actually do know, what we don't know. Mm. And so prioritising, uh, filling those gaps has been quite hard. So that was another uh, kind of key aim of ours, to really be transparent about where we're having to uh, make some educated guesses rather than drawing on really solid evidence. Uh, and therefore where we should be prioritising future efforts and future uh, research to, to fill those gaps. And so what that left us with was, a, um, was an economic model uh, that looks at uh, the conclusions we can draw from existing evidence around youth work's impact in three main areas. The first of those is around um, uh, criminal justice. The second of those is about health and mental health. And the third one is about employment and education. So it's not to say that youth work doesn't have an impact in some other areas of life. We've talked about citizenship and political participation, mm. for example. That's being a key area, but not one where the evidence was strong enough about the economic consequences for us to include it. So we've tried to be as sort of 
um, as conservative as we possibly can be um, in, in the assumptions we're making and the claims we're making, um, because we we want to be transparent about where we've got strengths and limitations in the evidence. Therefore, we focus on those three areas where the most research has been done in the past and we can draw the, the strongest conclusions. That has uh, shown us that for all of the um, public spending uh, on youth work, that the return on investment is somewhere between uh, 3.2 and 6.4 times. So basically for every pound that you spend on youth work, the government gets uh, between £3.20 and £6.40 back, which frankly, if anyone was offering me that as a return on investment for any uh, for any bank account right now, I would I would take it. Um, so that's that's a really helpful kind of headline figure to know. You know we're seeing that youth work is making a um, a really positive uh, contribution uh, from the investment that's already being made in it. But what's even more important, I think, for us to understand is that uh, even without further investment in youth work, that impact can be even greater. Mm. As I was saying, that the impact in uh, the impact of youth work on uh, criminal justice, on health and mental health, on education and employment is happening, frankly, without very good join up across these sectors. There are lots of professionals within the charity sector, within the public sector, who are working really hard to support young people, uh, who are putting young people front and centre of all their work, whether that's you know, teachers, social workers, um, people working in violence reduction units all over the place. Um, all these people are working to support young people, but they're not necessarily doing that in the most joined up way. Mm. And frankly, youth work uh, hasn't really been part of the um, the picture for a long time. Uh, over the last 10 years, youth work has been uh, subject to quite significant reductions in public spending. Um, so over a billion pounds a year has been reduced from youth work. And that's not a billion pounds taken off from a 40 billion pound a year budget. You know, we're talking about uh public investment in youth work being in the hundreds of millions now uh, rather than the um the billions which it was so we've seen a reduction of a, uh, at least a billion pounds a year for the last 10 years in really real terms that means almost 5000 youth work jobs cut mm -hmm. uh, that means over 750 youth centers closed and it's also meant that a whole sector is focused on keeping the doors open and supporting young people right there and then rather than reaching out and thinking about collaborations across sectors and which other um, professionals they can work with to support young people better. And so in some ways, that's that's left the field open. Um, and actually, what this research shows is that despite all of those um, big pressures on services, uh, but despite those big reductions in the, the scale of support that youth work can offer, that the, um, the positive benefits are still huge. And that's mm -hmm. happening without systematic join up and collaboration so if we can if we can uh, improve the cross-sector understanding of what does youth work actually mean uh, and what are the opportunities to uh, to collaborate effectively uh, we can improve that impact and the evidence about return on investment means that with increased government investment uh, as well as uh, contributions from charitable funders and from and from businesses that's a really good investment to be making we're often asked at UK youth, you know, these are really challenging times, there's lots of pressures on public spending, like what, how can we prioritise funding youth workers when we're trying to deal with debt issues within uh, local authorities and we're trying mm -hmm. to you know, tackle a recruitment and retention crisis within education and we're trying to bring down uh, the huge waiting list for child and adolescent mental health services. Like how can we prioritise youth work? Isn't that a bit of a nice to have? 
what this research is showing is we can't afford not to invest in youth work right now. Um, the the savings across uh, so many areas of um, of public activity would be would be great from doing so, but also youth work is is supporting a huge number of young people who are already in contact with these other services, um, but in long waiting lists uh, or only being uh, receiving. Uh, kind of limited support and actually it's youth work that is the safety net at the moment um that is you know when a young person's on a waiting list for met child and adolescent mental health services the youth workers the person who's still seeing them week on week whilst they're on mm. a waiting list for eight or nine months if that if that final safety net goes the, that young person has has nowhere else um nowhere else for support and we don't want to get to that position so in a way this this report is kind of helping you to defend or not you but UK youth and, and all of your partners in, in the uh, kind of youth space defending the need for the work that you're doing. But is it also providing then a baseline from which to grow to hopefully get more support from government or from other funders um, to uh, to increase the reach of what you're doing? Yeah, we we approach the, the needs of the research, not necessarily from a defence mindset, but from an invitation out. Uh, we're saying that, you know, there's 8,000 youth organisations across the UK who are doing youth work. Uh, about a third of all young people have regular access to a youth worker. Mm. Um, we're, we want that to be a much higher number because, frankly, all young people need support to navigate these really uncertain times. Mm, mm. Um, we want to get that from a third of all young people to all young people having access to youth work. In order to do that, we're going to have to work across traditional sector boundaries and our typical um, organisational um, limits uh, and do that in a really collaborative way. And this is an invitation to reach out and say, hey, this is this is the work that you thought was already happening in this space. Mm. Work with us to uh, to make it even stronger. And yeah, absolutely, that requires safe and sustainable levels of resourcing. Um, as with so many aspects of our, of our public services and charitable activity, those resource pressures are really severe. Um, but what we're saying through this research is actually it's a it's a really good financial bet, as well as just being the, the right thing to do. So we spoke with Ndidi Akezi Obi, CEO of UK Youth, back in January 2021. And we talked about uh, the impact of the pandemic on young people. Um, what's the impact of covid and now the cost of living crisis having on children and young people and what are the current priorities for the work that you're doing in helping to address these issues yeah i, I don't think your listeners will be surprised to hear that it's been a difficult couple of years um it's been difficult for for all of us including adults who've got decades of uh life experience uh lots of connections and people we can draw on for support mm. as well as an increased level of financial security that young people don't have you know if we all think back to what it was like being a um being a teenager those are times where you're trying to come to terms with who you are what your identity is what you can offer to the world uh trying to navigate all of the overwhelming number of choices that are available to you about uh what you do for education, how you want to step into uh, employment, how you can make the biggest contribution to your community. Mm. Those are those are huge and consequential decisions that that all young people need to get, navigate, you know, for generations. But what we're seeing is that the 
um, the huge uncertainty in the times we're living in is place is making those decisions even harder. And actually, the pressures that young people are experiencing right now uh, haven't been experienced for generations. We've got um, we've got really high rates of, um, of of poverty and and acute financial pressure from the cost of living crisis. Mm. We've got uh, mental health crisis amongst young people, which is dramatically increasing, uh, while services are, are really struggling to uh, to keep pace. We've got uh, a climate emergency, um, which is weighing very heavily on young people's minds as they kind of look to um, a future which uh, doesn't feel very hopeful. Uh, and that's a pretty daunting um, that's a pretty daunting place to be. Mm. When you then overlay that with huge disruption to the education system during COVID, uh, uh, disruption to uh, informal support networks of friends, family, of the kind of charitable services, after school activities, youth work that young people are involved in, what we what we've seen is that young people have had a lot of the um, the sources of stability they used to rely on shaken. So not only are you facing these daunting questions about your future, but also the people you used to turn to aren't necessarily there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a that's a really frightening place to be. What how that manifests itself um, is definitely in terms of uh, uh, impact on on young people's mental health, uh, and we're seeing that the um, huge rise in in mental health problems uh, over the last uh, ten years uh, isn't just pandemic related. Um, it was a trend that was happening at an alarming uh, pace uh, even before the pandemic, but the pandemic has has made that even um, has made that even more severe, and the pressure in particular on uh, teenage girls uh, is is incredibly high. The latest NHS figures showing that almost half of teenage girls are experiencing problems with their mental health, uh, and rates of uh, suicidal ideation and self harm uh, have also dramatically increased uh, within that age group. So when we're when we're talking about the mental health crisis, I think sometimes we can we've become quite accustomed to that phrase and almost a bit numb to it. Uh, we've been talking about uh, a crisis within uh, young people's mental health and mental health support services for such a long time now that it sort of sounds like, well, that's just how things are. That's just that's just the teenage experience, and that just that isn't true, and we shouldn't let ourselves become complacent to that. Um, yes. Teenage years are always a difficult time. And yes, young people have always um, had ups and downs in their mental health and well-being. But the overwhelming scale um, of both the severity and the number of young people uh, who are needing support uh, is completely unprecedented. We're also seeing it uh, on, on the labour market side and employability side uh, that youth unemployment is at some of its lowest levels um, historically, which is a really good news story. And a lot of that has been about um, post-pandemic recovery. Mm. But young people are in some of the most precarious positions in the in the labour market. They're in jobs which uh, nobody else wants to do. They're often the lowest paid. Uh, they're on the most precarious employment contracts. Uh, and they're often pretty... Uh, Really open to to exploitation because they don't necessarily know what their what their full rights are. Mm. We've seen the the common trend uh, in every recession, every economic downturn, is that young people are the uh, first to be laid off uh, when firms are facing financial pressures, uh, and uh, the the quality of work that's available to young people. Uh, really suffers. So I think it's a really important area where we look beyond just the headline figure of how many young people are are in employment at all, and actually start thinking about what are the uh, what are the careers and skills pathways for young people. 
what are the um, the long-term options that young people have to make use of the amazing skills they've got. We've got one of the best educated generations that has ever existed. We've got a generation who are completely uh, digitally native uh, in a world which is requiring ever more sophisticated uh, skills in terms of technology. The huge asset that young people can be uh, to a labor market in the workforce uh, is extraordinary. But um, at the moment, we don't have the roots into long-term careers and ongoing skills development um, post-schooling uh, that will put them in a um, in a strong position to contribute for, for decades to come. And we are really worried that as the uh, recession kicks in and the economic uh, conditions start to bite, um, that young people are going to be some of the worst affected um, from the labour market. And we saw that um, with the previous generation after the last financial crisis, where actually it took over 10 years um, for people's uh, skills and employment rates to catch up with where their peers were the generation before, because those kind of long-term scarring effects of a, of a financial downturn, and we don't want that to happen again. Mm. I guess the final pressure from a kind of cost of living perspective, and we're seeing this really dramatically in the youth work sector, is that as pressure on family finances kicks in, it's it's often the um, the activities that a young person might be involved with when they're not at school and we're not at home that get cut back. Um, and no parent wants to make those difficult choices. Um, but actually, if the choice is between heating your home or feeding your family or that young person attending mm. the scouts or guides or their other after-school activities, then that's often the thing that... Um, um, that gets let go. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen the really significant reductions in government funding for youth work over the last 10 years, a lot of the way that the youth work sector has managed to um, survive financially has been by increasingly subsidising its provision from uh, from families and from the young people taking part. So there'll be part payment for services. Mm. Now, what that's led to is a real disparity in the availability provision across the UK. So the most affluent areas have seen very little change in the equality or the availability provision, whereas some of the most deprived areas where young people need the most support have seen the, have seen the biggest reductions uh, in youth work. What we're already seeing reported now is that even in some of those most affluent areas, youth work organisations are seeing young people attending much less regularly and not being able to um, to pay for any of the provision that they're they're offering, and that's um, that's a really sad thing for the young people involved. It's also a financial crisis for the sector more broadly um, because that's not a sustainable position to be in long term. So, at a time when the pressures on young people are are, are most severe. The services that are there to support them are getting less and less accessible. And I guess it, it from what you're saying, it puts into contrast then, it, and it maybe it helps to make that argument that you were saying earlier that with so many challenges and so much of, of a lack of support and, and underfunding for young people, and, and increasingly so because of the uh, cost of living crisis and climate catastrophe and all of these things, it kind of highlights even more, I suppose, the brilliance of that return on investment that we're currently getting from youth work that so many young people are despite those things thriving with the support of youth work to give that uh, that massive return on investment yeah i think there are so many intractable social problems that can feel pretty overwhelming and that we just don't know how to solve and are going to require huge creativity ingenuity and collaboration to try and address the climate emergency is is a great example of that we don't actually know how we're going to navigate it, but we need to keep working together to do that. There are other areas 
um, of, of public service reform, whether that's about sustainability of NHS services with an aging population, increasingly uh, increasing number of people out of work because of poor health, for example. Well, we just don't know what we're going to do to try and address that. The choices are incredibly hard and the solutions aren't clear. In some ways, youth work's not the same class of problem um, as those. In some ways, we know what the answer is. We've known the answer for 150 years. Uh, we've got a really great example of a solution that's ready to go. Mm. Uh, we've got uh, youth workers uh, embedded within every community uh, across the UK uh, already. We've got a, t- a skilled and talented workforce that's already supporting uh, millions of young people, uh, over 3 million young people regularly accessing youth work. That's an amazing resource uh, to have with some real strengths to build on. What we want is to get from that third of all young people getting access to the support to to all young people getting access to support. It's not a question of what could be the answer. It's how we how we can ensure it can be sustainably delivered at scale. For those people listening to this, I mean, a lot of our listeners will be working in charities, maybe a very far away from youth work in terms of their remit and their um, objectives. But what what do you think that charities generally can do to support children and young people, either in, in their work or as a secondary benefit to a society through providing recruitment and volunteering opportunities, for example? There are going to be very few charities whose cause doesn't have an impact on young people directly or indirectly. And I think the first thing that we would say is you should listen to those young people those young people are key stakeholders uh, in your work. Mm. And actually, we often talk about young people as you know the leaders of tomorrow. I don't think it's true. Young people are the leaders of now. Uh, the amazing talent, ideas, creativity of young people uh, is extraordinary. We've got, as I say, one of the most socially engaged, one of the best educated, one of the most digitally literate, one of the most compassionate uh, generations um, that there's ever been. Uh, and they are young people who have ideas uh, and things to contribute right now rather than in some unspecified future time. And actually, we call on all organisations, whether those are in the charity sector, within business, within funders, uh, to share power with young people, uh, to create spaces to genuinely listen, uh, to to present the difficult choices that we're all trying to make and help involve young people in making those choices with us. Um, you can sign up to things like the Power of Youth Charter, uh, which UK Youth um, uh, administers alongside our partners at Volunteering Matters, um, which sets out a whole series of ways in which you can involve young people in your work uh, and and kind of, uh, yeah, op- open up uh, your organisations to, to benefit from young people. That's a great, that's a great place to start. I'd also uh, encourage everyone to think beyond our traditional uh, sector or topic boundaries. We often uh, talk about kind of silo working within the sector. And actually, uh, if we start thinking about centering the people we're here to work alongside, shoulder to shoulder with and support right then and there, and actually ask them, what other organizations, professionals, uh, agencies are in your lives? Mm. We'll, We'll often find there'll be a list of four, five, 10 other organizations. So let's, stop that individual young young person uh, uh, having to navigate all of our different offers and choices and actually work with one another i think actually okay we all have an interest in supporting uh this person how can we 
leverage our various strengths, expertise, connections uh, to offer a more seamless experience. And that that kind of cross-sector collaboration takes time and resource. It's not just a nice-to-have thing that goes on top. Mm-hmm. That would be my my call out to, um, to any charitable funders listening, which is we um, have had lots of interesting conversations in the sector around grant making and the support that goes alongside that. What capacity building support does the sector need alongside just money? And I think one of the um, un- underappreciated and often overlooked um, support that funders can provide is that convening power across sectors to bring together organizations working on similar causes to, to, to work on their common problems. I think the, the third thing that I'd say is you should um, absolutely think about which youth work organizations are already in the communities that you're serving. These are organizations that often have uh, youth centers. They've got hugely uh, well-integrated networks with other local services. They're great anchor institutions within within a community and great uh, brokers and gatekeepers uh, to uh, work with young people and to understand the kind of issues they matter. So they're a huge source of local intelligence as well. And so if you're uh, trying to figure out what's going on in the area I work and what matters to the young people in those spaces, go and talk to youth workers um, because they're some of the most informed and engaged and connected uh, people in, in each of our local communities. Jacob Diggle, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you to Jacob Diggle for sharing his insights and expertise with us here on Charity Chat. Understanding and speaking about the return on investment is a good way of showing the impact of our work, both for those we are directly seeking to support, but also for our communities and society at large. It also helps to remind us that our efforts now may have larger and longer term ramifications and continue to help us drive funders to recognise the economic as well as social benefits that they could bring to the world by supporting our cause. Charities have an ongoing struggle against the status quo. We are the for-change sector and should have eyes on the world we want to help create. In some cases, our causes are likely to live longer than we are, and at the very least, we need to recognise that handing over the baton of our efforts is inevitable. Add to this the likelihood that our cause is one way or another linked to making the world better for the generations coming after us and young people are not only our future but also key stakeholders of today. What are we doing in our work and within our charity structures to show young people that we are a force for good and one which they should support as volunteers, staff and funders, both now and in years to come? How are we speaking to them now and showing our relevance in their lives? These are key questions for all charitable organisations. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, plus share with any colleagues or friends who may be interested. 
It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good is a fundraising platform helping businesses raise funds for charities through their sales. The platform makes the legal agreement needed for businesses to fundraise from sales quick and simple, saving charities time and resource and enabling them to raise more unrestricted income. Pop to workforgood.co.uk to learn more and book a free demo. Also, I'd like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website. Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And of course, Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye bye.